Hello, it's Neil here. Welcome to the Cephi Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Lynn van de Broek from KU Leuven on lifelong learning. Lynn coordinated a large research project involving three universities to better understand this competence and the best teaching interventions to foster it. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators Podcast by Cephi, the European Society for Engineering Education. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. So Neil, I think like a lot of people, I constantly said during my degree and then during my master's and then during my doctorate that I never wanted to do another exam again. <laughs> um, but of course, I've been constantly studying and learning and this is as much driven by a sort of need to or a motivation to. Um, and I think I don't definitely notice a sort of different mindset to learning now. Um, but I also sort of increasingly have come to appreciate other ways of learning um, other than, you know, formal methods in yeah. the classroom, you know, like learning on the job. We learn things yeah. all the time. Um, students constantly tell me that they can look up things on the Internet so they don't need to yeah. um, learn things in their courses. And obviously this kind of means we need to focus instead on helping students understand what they need to know and develop themselves. So I'm definitely interested in this topic. What about you? Yeah, well, I mean, from a personal growth perspective, you know, the pursuit of knowledge and skills and continually refreshing them is kind of just, I I think it's really just core to any academic's mindset. Yeah. For me, and what's new to me when when I heard about this term lifelong learning, is that this appears to be this specific set of competencies and teaching interventions that can assure that our engineering students um, can be set up for this lifelong habit um, which they might not otherwise have had Mm. Um, and this just seems to be a new and big responsibility for us as engineering educators Mm. Uh, yeah so so I'm interested to hear more today about what Lynn's been doing and her colleagues who are working on this hi Lynn welcome thank you for joining us today hi Natalie thanks for having me so Dr. Lynn van der Broek is a postdoctoral research scientist at KU Leuven, coordinating European projects focusing on lifelong learning in engineering education with research interests in professional competencies education, educational professionalization, teaching assistant training, study guidance, effectiveness and efficiency of educational interventions and feedback. She holds a master's degree in chemical engineering technology. So Lynn, what is it that inspired you to become more involved in engineering education research following this master's in sort of chemical engineering? Yeah, so during my, my studies and especially during my master's degree, I noticed that I had besides this interest in engineering, also already an interest in the educational part of the program. For example, mm-hmm. um, how the courses were developed by the lecturers and also what other competencies besides the technical ones were integrated in the courses. And right after my graduation, uh, really a week afterwards or something, there was this interesting vacancy for an educational project focusing on improving the guidance and support of transfer students. And at that time, I was actually quite unsure about what type of engineer I wanted to become. And the only thing I was really sure was about was that I really wanted to do something with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and now, almost eight years later, uh, I couldn't be more happy with my job as educator, study advisor and researcher all in one. 
Um, and then, yeah, it's so that the engineering field is, is so diverse and I find it important to guide and support students in, in defining their strengths, but also their weaknesses and passions. And luckily, the engineering students of the day, they can do the preferred tests uh, developed by my colleague, Sophie, uh, which I also use during my own lectures to help uh, students to find out what type of engineer they want to become. Well, I'm glad you uh, mentioned the preferred tests, Lynn, because we've spoken about to Sophie about those um, in a different episode and definitely something useful, I think. Yeah, indeed. Uh, um, of course, I know that uh, Sophie is also on the podcast. Um, mm. And I think I use the preferred test uh, together with a portfolio for the students so that it really goes throughout their whole study program. And each year they get some new insights about what are they good at and, and what type of engineer they can become. So I really like those ones. Yeah, great. Hello, Lynn. Hi, Neil. So, Lynn, you're from the Faculty of Engineering Technology in Belgium's largest and Europe's oldest university, KU Leuven. The university is very active in the advancement of engineering education in Europe and in CEFI. Could you tell us more about the Engineering Technology Education Research Group ATA and what it's doing now? Yeah, indeed. Um, so ATA, our research group, really focuses on applied research in engineering education. So we want to do research, but apply it at the same time. Yeah. So it, it aims to build this, this safe and inspiring learning environment for our future engineers within their whole learning trajectory. So we have research topics or PhD students who focus on the transition to university, but mm. we also have like... Uh, the PhD of Sophie, the transition to personal, professional life. And then there's this uh, nice um, overarching research topic about the growth in professional competencies. Okay, so and lifelong learning is one of them. So that leads us on to uh, what we want to talk about today then, which is um, your work in lifelong learning. Now, this is an everyday term used in society and especially um, in science and engineering, perhaps because of the, the speed of technological change. So could you um, give us a definition of what exactly we mean when we say lifelong learning in engineering education? Yeah, that's already uh, <laughs> a quite difficult question uh, to yeah. answer, and I'm not sure that I can uh, answer it like what it exactly means. But as you said, it's indeed something that is really emphasized as it's important to do lifelong learning. But today there is not really an agreement about what it's entails precisely there are a lot of definitions but what they all have in common is that they use uh, words like a process or continuous uh, things like that that it has to be all the time and it yeah. can be happen and it can happen in every place or every space so it's it's often also used in a similar context with concepts like continuous professional or personal development or life-wide learning mm -hmm. um, and and when you look for literature about lifelong learning, uh, or when I did it, it became very clear that lifelong learning is very often used as a buzzword. So <laughs> yeah. sometimes studies just use lifelong learning as a keyword, or they mention it just a few times. But once you remove all the buzzword literature, as I call it, <laughs> um, studies, and you only look at the studies that really focus on lifelong learning competencies, there are actually two types of studies. Um, some researchers focus on lifelong learning from a more holistic perspective. For example, mm -hmm. that's the one perspective I like the most. Uh, Kirby, for example, they distinguish 
five competencies that make up for lifelong learning, which includes goal setting, uh, application of knowledge and skills, but also self-direction evaluation, locating information, and the last one is adaptable learning strategies. Okay. You also have studies that focus on, on one specific aspect of lifelong learning, and they highlight it. For example, studies about information literacy or self-directed learning. And so is there much of this sort of literature within engineering education? I mean, does the definition sort of vary between disciplines and there's a different definition for engineering education? A good question. If we look at the engineering field as such, we see that literature about lifelong learning competences is rather scarce. So uh, in, in a systematic review from uh, Cruz et al., um, that focuses really on competency methods in engineering education, they list the most frequently used criteria for lifelong learning competencies in engineering. And there are also uh, five, um, I think. So self-reflection is one, locating and scrutinizing information, willingness, motivation, and curiosity to learn, and then creating a learning plan, but also self-monitoring. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the, the more general study of Kirby, you see there is a clear overlap between lifelong learning competencies as defined in the engineer-specific study, and also in the studies that are more general uh, mentioned uh, earlier. So nevertheless, both the general and engineering-specific research field are actually lacking a coherent lifelong learning framework. So we've sort of ascertained a, a general sort of definition of lifelong learning, um, but why is it important? I mean, you mentioned that it's quite a buzzword. Um, why do you think this is? Um, I think the, the role of lifelong learning in the workplace has been increasing during the last century and will only increase further, as I think Neil already said in the introduction, because there are changing worldviews, all the technolo technological advancements require employees to continuously update their knowledge, their skills, their attitudes. And in a field like engineering, where technology and science play a central part, I think lifelong learning is even more vital. Sure, yeah. And so why... Why then, I guess, this links to us as educators that we need to take this on board when we're um, teaching our students? Like, to what degree is, do we play a role in this? Mm -hmm. So considering the importance of lifelong learning, higher educations have this responsibility to prepare engineer students for lifelong learning in the workplace later. Mm -hmm. and, and traditionally, engineering curricula have focused purely on, on the technical and scientific knowledge transfer, However, by the time that students graduate, parts of the course content will be dated or, or incomplete. Mm -hmm. So the core function of education is no longer restricted to transfer all the field-specific knowledge. And I think that's already uh, quite um, agreed upon um, in the engineering field. But also the professional skills and the learning capacity are becoming increasingly more a central part of, of education. Mm, okay. Okay, Lynn. So... Um one of the reasons why um, you've become an expert on lifelong learning is that um, you've been involved in a European project, Train Eng PDP, where you've looked at these five competencies um, specifically, um, each of them, and also holistically. Can you tell us more about this project? Okay, so the aim of training is, is to engage and support students in their personal development process. And based on the end, we have like three main objectives. The first is to engage and motivate engineer students in their personal development process. A second objective is to motivate and train lecturers because they're also an important stakeholder in this, in the 
engaging in their student personal development process. And then the third one is we want to increase awareness about the competencies for lifelong learning that are needed in engineer education and practice. So those are the, the, the main objectives. And we work together with three academic partners. So KU Leuven, Lut University from Finland and TU Dublin. And we also have several associate partners like CFE, some educational partners uh, also. Yeah. And in the project, um, you've looked at these lifelong learning interventions across many different engineering programs. So you built up a real valuable knowledge bank of case studies. Um, what have you found out about lifelong learning and, and how it's different in, in, in different uh, institutions? We um, started with a scoping review and, and looked at papers that include lifelong learning interventions that only involved higher education students. Yeah. So all the papers were analyzed according different categories. So we looked at the type and the content, but also at the duration of the intervention. We looked at the specific target audience, the used research design, the effectiveness of implemented intervention and also efficiency and how it was linked with lifelong learning. Okay. Um, and we found actually that there were four main types of interventions uh, that are used um, when, when looking at lifelong learning. And, and almost all of them were student-centered, which is good uh, because I think lifelong learning and student-centered are uh, go hand in hand. So first of all, there's this focus on self-regulation interventions via e-portfolios or personal development plans or specific sessions about self-regulation as a competency or online material about it. The second type of intervention is um, reflective journals or reflective practice. So also really um, related to the first type of interventions. Yeah. And then a third category is more about student-centered teaching methods, such as problem or project-based learning, but also flipped classroom, team-based learning, network learning, yeah. work-integrated learning, and so on. And then a smaller category uh, or a smaller type of intervention is the use of, of peer and self-assessment, which is also actually related to uh, self-regulations. And besides the type and the content of the interventions, um, we also noticed that actually the interventions were rather short in, in duration of time. So sometimes it was only one session or sometimes it covered a course during a whole semester. And it yeah. was interesting to see that there were actually no longitudinal interventions. And mm. I think that they are really important to include them more because competency development is a really continuous process where, where knowledge and attitudes and skills become more and more intertwined. So I think that is still a bit uh, missing. So all of these are potential ways to bring lifelong learning into the classroom. Can you tell us uh, a bit more about them, um, where you would use one over the other, and perhaps their relative strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, sure. Um, what I think, and I have experienced myself with uh, e-portfolios, um, if you look at uh, interventions like the e-portfolios or the personal development plans or reflective journals or, or the use of, of peer assessment, yeah. um, you really make the, the focus on lifelong learning or on the lifelong learning competencies more explicit for the students. Right. So it's really in their face, here it is, lifelong learning, think about it, yeah. and what <laughs> are you going to do with it? Yeah. Um, whereas when you use student-centered teaching methods, 
as you say, the, the problem-based learning or the flipped mm. classroom, it, it's much more implicit. So there is this, this focus on lifelong learning competences in some sort of way because, because you make it student-centered, there is this focusing on, on the competencies, but it's, it's much more implicit for the students. So they do not notice it that much that they uh, are doing something about their lifelong learning competencies. And, and what I would suggest is that it's always better to make things explicit for students so that they really know that they are mm. important competencies. And you say that um, lots of these sort of methods and uh, there's lots of studies in the medical field and, and these methods are, are used there as well and perhaps are, are more mature. What did you learn from looking at the medical field? What we've learned uh, from the medical field is that they are much more uh, focusing on on the self-regulation part of future doctors and and what uh, type of doctor they want to become and also that they need to keep up with everything that is changing. So they really focus a lot more on this personal development plans and Mm. and also on on reflection, a lot, lot about reflection as well. So Lynn, when you did this scoping review and you sort of discovered all these different types of intervention... How were they uh, linked with some of these lifelong learning competencies that we discussed previously? Yeah, it was actually quite interesting because when you look at the interventions that uh, use the student-centered teaching methods, uh, we saw in the studies that the method was always directly linked to lifelong learning competencies. So they say that this method improves lifelong learning competencies without going uh, further in detail or they mention that it improves lifelong learning competencies in general and it's linked to lifelong learning in general. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you look at the other types of interventions that focus more on the self-regulation and reflective part, they really linked the intervention um, more to another a specific lifelong learning competency. For example, the self-monitoring or the creating a learning plan or the self-reflection or the motivation part and so on. So that's actually the difference that we we found between the types of interventions. Okay, interesting. Um, it seems like there's sort of a, an assumption, I guess, that that these skills are developed. Um, so you've mentioned as one of the competencies self-regulation quite a lot in your work. Um, would you be able to explain exactly what's meant by self-regulation for us? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, self-regulation is a really popular concept in, in the research area of educational psychology. Mm-hmm. And the most cited model is the one of Zimmerman, where uh, they distinguish three action phases uh, in self-regulation. So the first mm-hmm. is initiating and planning a learning action, which is called the forethought phase. Mm-hmm. Um, second, you have the performance or volitional control phase, which includes the learning actions taken into a narrower sense. And the last phase is actually the self-reflection one, where you have this functional assessment of the learning action. And what we see is that of the different lifelong learning interventions, a lot of them include self-regulation. And it's also often referred to as a personal development cycle or an an aspect of self-regulation, which is Mm self-reflection. So Lynn, you spoke about these sort of three action phases, um, which are part of Zimmerman's model would you be able to give us a sort of example of how we might apply this within um, an engineering context 
Okay, so an example that we use at our faculty is uh, we use some mathematical models where students can refresh their mathematical knowledge as a first-year student. So mm -hmm. first, and it's also the first step of Zimmerman, they have to define where they have problems with, what subjects they found difficult, and we give them some questions to think about. So how difficult do you think it is? Um, do you think you can answer five questions uh, correctly? Mm -hmm. And and. Based on that, they go to the second phase where they really do something and they have the, the performance phase. They do the modules. They just learn uh, more about the mathematical topics. And then afterwards, they get into the third phase of Zimmerman where they can reflect about what they have learned. And we also provide them some questions about it. So what went well? Uh, do you have the feeling that you were really concentrated when going through the modules? And do you need something else? And then at the end of their self-reflection phase, normally they get some new action points to start over again with the mm. whole process. So that's how we use it as an example. Yeah, nice. So like an iterative sort of yeah. process. Indeed. Right. Okay, Lynn, so you've done this scoping review for the project and, um, and covered these and competencies for lifelong learning, some of the, those four interventions and given us an example of, of one of those interventions. How have you made use of um, this information from the scoping uh, review in your own programs? So what we have used from um, the, the literature review is actually uh, the categorization of the lifelong learning competencies. Yeah. And we wanted to find out how our engineering study programs Mm. Um, already included these lifelong learning competencies. Okay. Um, so this is where uh, we uh, used the or introduced the term of the heat map, where uh, yeah the colleagues of TU Dublin took the lead in this in work package, and we did not only wanted to look at the lifelong learning competencies, but we also mm. wished to compare um, how lifelong learning competencies were integrated in extent to other more traditional engineering competencies. Okay. And for that mapping exercise, we used two frameworks. Uh, first of all, a large-scale study by the ACE, which categorized these competencies in general into engineering competencies, interpersonal competencies, and intrapersonal competencies. Mm -hmm. So that's the first framework that we used. And then, of course, for the lifelong learning competencies, we used a more um, detailed categorization of uh, the Cruz et al. paper. And what we did in this mapping exercise is from each institution of the project, we chose one bachelor program and one master program. Yeah. And we mapped all the different individual learning outcomes from uh, the models and the courses, courses in each of the six engineering programs. The learning outcomes were targeted because of our specific interest in, in how many lifelong learning competencies are assessed in a model or a program. Yeah. And, and what we found out was that very few learning outcomes explicitly address lifelong learning competencies. And the focusing on lifelong learning competencies also changes between the bachelor and the master programs and the year of the program. Okay. We uh, also uh, were allowed to differentiate a bit between the programs in each university and also highlight some priority areas for the development in each university, which can inform us in the next stage uh, of the project. And, and in summary, um, just to give you an idea, actually only one of the five competencies identified by Cruz 
was adequately addressed and it was locating and scrutinizing information. And that was only the one of the five competencies of lifelong learning that was actually really present um, in, in the learning outcomes. And now, of course, we want to develop pilot projects uh, to, to help students in developing the different competencies of lifelong learning. So, Len, you've obviously done this scope and review where you found out about different types of intervention and you've also looked at existing programs to sort of find the gaps um, where we might need to put in certain types of intervention. I'm just wondering when we do this, how we can ensure that any intervention is effective um, in sort of promoting this lifelong learning. Yeah, yeah. Great question. It's it's indeed really important to define what really works when, when we develop uh, these lifelong learning competencies. And, and that's also where these interventional studies become really important. Um, but measuring effectiveness uh, of intervention is actually really crucial to make like these evidence-based conclusions and to make informed-based decisions whether or not to implement an intervention for your whole mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. And I think this this whole discussion about effectiveness is, is really interesting. And I use a framework from Van Epper where they uh, have this theoretical view about the measurement of effectiveness of intervention. And they have like five levels of effectiveness with a corresponding level of evidence that you found for how effective it is. Mm-hmm. And also methods that can be used to, to measure this, this effectiveness. And... Um, and and when you can you, when you determine the effectiveness, you see that performing, for example, an experimental design does not always guarantee that your intervention is effective. It just provides you more evidence that if there are differences, these differences are really devoted to the intervention. And if a study that used an experimental design reveals that there are difference, no differences between the experimental group and the control group then mm-hmm. you find really strong empirical indications that the intervention is not effective. Mm-hmm. However, it's it's not easy to, to define when it's effective or not, um, especially since there are a lot of confounding and uncertain variables. And I think the most preferable setup to uh, do this is to define a quasi-experimental design, which is a control and treatment group using a pre- and post-test setup with validated measurement tools and also a mixed method approach to capture both the quantitative and the qualitative results. But in general, effectiveness can take many forms. Uh, For example, in my personal opinion as an educator, I'm already happy if students perceive an intervention as useful. And also, not every intervention should, for example, aim to improve academic achievement or decrease dropout rates. And in the pilot intervention of the training project, we were really focusing on students' self-reported self-regulation and general lifelong learning competencies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it sounds it can be quite, I guess, resource and time intensive. But also, I guess we need to be quite certain about what we're trying to achieve with an intervention, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's increased grades or, you know, some some different measure. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It, it really depends on... What are you aiming for? Do you want an improved academic achievement? Then you need a, 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 maybe a different type of interventions than mm. if you want to. For example, for us, we want students to be better at self-regulation and general lifelong learning competencies. So depending on what you want, you can uh, change it a bit. Yeah, sure. 
So Lynn, lifelong learning, it seems to be a skill that you're going to need in the future. Um, so it, it's something that we're going to be teaching um, students because, you know, when they graduate, they're going to, to need this potentially more than they need it right now. That to me seems like it's going to be a, a challenge to motivate students to learn this and against other things that may be more presently needed. Um, so what's your experience of the student attitude to um, lifelong learning skills and, and those teaching interventions? Yeah, um, <laughs> good question. Um, I'm doing this a couple of years now with my own students. Yeah. Um, so once we did the curriculum reform, we started with focusing on, on these competencies as well. And actually, they uh, they do not like it. Uh, <laughs> let's say they sometimes hate it. Um, right. But um, also when they see me, they know, oh, no, we need to oh, reflect no. about something or yeah. we need to think about something. And indeed, <laughs> as you say, they do not know at the beginning of their studies that it's important for them. Yeah. But I notice throughout the, the different uh, reflections that I read and the different portfolios that I look into, some of them, after a couple of reflections, they get better at it and they really mm. start... Um, using it a little bit. So I don't think that I can convince all the students that it's important, but <laughs> if we can convince some students throughout their study program, and especially I think because next year I will do the master students as well. Yeah. I think once they're in their third bachelor master program, they really know, okay, it won't take that long before I'm graduated. And then I hope everything that we have learned them from the beginning about self-reflection and, and defining what they need uh, as an engineer later on. I hope yeah. it will help them and that they then notice or, or think about it. Oh, yeah, that's what she said a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I already know it. So maybe they yeah. can do it again then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think connected to that is, um, you know, how would we assess this lifelong learning skill? Um, so I'm good at lifelong learning. I'm not so good at lifelong learning. You know where where how do you do that assessment yeah uh, good and also really interesting question because yeah first of all it's difficult to assess something when it's not yet clear what it exactly entails <laughs> yeah but if we put that aside yeah. uh, we also see that other studies mentions this gap about how to foster and measure lifelong learning to obtain this deeper and more detailed understanding of students lifelong learning competencies but if we look at what is already available, we can see that the current assessment practices um, really rely on the self-reporting instruments. And those are actually the only one available at this moment. So, for example, right. you can use the lifelong learning scale of Kirby, mm. uh, whereas there's an instrument requires respondents to describe their lifelong learning approaches. And it's a really generic scale consisting of 14 items based on constructs of of another study and and or when you for example focusing on a key aspect of lifelong learning you can also use the self-reflection and insight scale which is also a self-reported uh, yeah. instrument and and once our lifelong learning framework is developed i'm really looking forward to dive into the interesting and challenging assessment aspect because i think that there's a lot more to do and maybe other assessment practices to uh, dive into than only the self-reporting instruments. So Lynn, what's next in terms of lifelong learning uh, in your project? Yeah, so we've now finished uh, 
with with the literature review, we finished with uh, setting out the heat maps. So we know we have a lot of input now. And at this time, we are trying to make this model where we take into account uh, context because context is everything. So you have this list of interventions that you can use. Well, we actually want to give some more uh, context variables to it so that you can take into account, for example, not every intervention works in the same in, in, in the same setting. So if you have mm-hmm. a big class or a small class, or if it's for first year students or for master students, and also the required effort, not every lecturer has a lot of time to focusing on this lifelong learning or the personal development of students. So we want to take into account different aspects and, and once we have finished uh, and developed this, this model that takes into account these different criteria, we will be developing and piloting various interventions. And then in the later phase, we are going to co-create this toolkit for lectures. Uh, in mm-hmm. this, will uh, Labinrata University will take um, the lead. Uh, and this toolkit will include all the developed materials and also guidance for selecting the most suitable intervention Mm-hmm. Um, so if listeners want to keep up to date with uh, the progress of our project, uh, you can always follow us on, on LinkedIn or you can go to our project website. So Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. A really useful and interesting conversation. Before you go, I was wondering if you'd be able to give one takeaway piece of advice to our listeners uh, so that they can better teach lifelong learning skills. Yeah, sure. What I would give as a as a takeaway message is if you look at, we have these four types of, of interventions that focus on lifelong learning and that, yeah, you don't feel, you don't have to feel compelled to do all of them, but just select the one that works best for you or that works the best in the setting you're in. Mm. Uh, so, for example, if you're already doing a course in PBL, you can make some lifelong learning competencies explicit or you can implement reflection assignments or you can use peer assessments of stuff like that and i think some minor tweaks can get you already quite far and if you want to do something new and if you have time for it yeah just do it but take into account that everything you're already doing sometimes with some minor efforts uh, you can get quite far Um, and then in general um if you want to keep updated uh, about the progress of our project, we have this project training, of course, where we're focusing on the lifelong learning competencies. And if you're more interested in, in self-regulation, because it's really a core competency and a malleable competency for, for lifelong learning, we have this uh, Reflect project at KU Leuven where we're going to develop and evaluate a lot of interventions in the future. Great. Thank you, Len. Some good advice there, making it a bit more realistic and uh feasible I think and we'll make sure that we link those websites and attach them to this podcast episode thank you so much for joining us perfect thanks for having me it was a nice chatting with both of you so Natalie early on in this episode I I just remember right off the bat when asked to define lifelong learning that Lynn spoke of the difficulties in doing this so I went away and I'd looked more in depth the project that uh, Lynn coordinated Mm. and what I found really handy about her work is that rather than just sort of coming up with a better definition Mm -hmm. um, it related them to real actionable things um, the top four interventions Mm -hmm. so so I came out of this worrying less about how to directly assess 
lifelong learning as a skill and a more nuanced view on things that we can do to promote the quality. So yeah, a really valuable discussion. Yeah, so definitely I remember that as well and um, Lynn sort of referring to it as a buzzword and saying that when they were looking at the literature it's quite often that it was referred to without actually, you know, having much meaning behind what lifelong learning was. And probably I've been guilty of of that as well. You know, I do try and encourage students to invest sort of time in directing their own learning. And I think especially, you know, Lynn highlighted that that's particularly important in engineering due to our sort of rate of technological change and, you know, students needing to update their knowledge when when they graduate. Um, So I think I definitely recognised that I hadn't necessarily been very structured in my approach. And so maybe going Mm. forward... I'll like focus on those specific competencies that that Lynn sort of talked about, you know, for example, self-regulation. And then when I'm assessing students, you know, I already use reflections and peer assessments that, but be a bit more explicit about how I'm using them and that I want to focus on lifelong learning sort of competencies. So I think that's what I took away really is, as Lynn said, we are doing some of these things. We just need to you know, make small tweaks and be a bit more focused in in how we make use of them. Okay, so that's the end of season two. As ever, thank you everyone for taking the time to listen and we hope you're gaining new insights as well as getting to know another six engineering educators with international reputations who are pushing the boundaries. So yes, as Neil said, that's the end of season two. Um, We've already started recording episodes for the next couple of seasons. So please, if you would like to be involved and be a guest on the podcast and share your work to the wider CEFI community, please feel free to get in touch with us. As ever, you can download the podcast episodes from wherever you get your podcasts from. And remember that all our episodes are on YouTube where you can view them in your own language okay everyone thanks again for listening take care see you soon bye